Hello, and welcome to episode 105 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Well, uh, announcements as always. Uh, first thing I want to mention is the Austin Closure Meetup. This will be held Monday, July 11th, in 2016, at 7 p.m. at the Capitol Factory. This, of course, is in Austin, Texas. And you can search for Austin Closure Meetup to get more information about that event. The next thing I want to mention is something that, to be honest with you, I kind of didn't think I was going to. Um, I had somebody, uh, David Whittington, emailed me and said, hey, uh, I'm running a game in script and I've got a Kickstarter. Would you mind mentioning it? And my initial reaction was, that's awesome. Um, but I don't know. I mean, lots of people have Kickstarters. Why would we mention it? And then I went and looked at his website and the Kickstarter. And you can find the website at zetawar.com, Z-E-T-A-W-A-R.com. Uh, and it turned out to be considerably more altruistic um, than I thought, meaning... You know, he's doing this thing. Clearly, he loves ClojureScript. He's do, he's going to be using it as a platform to promote ClojureScript. He's open sourcing everything so that people will be able to, to play this game he's creating. It's one of those old-style turn-based uh, games that I think are pretty cool. So anyway, All Around looks like a really cool project. And so when I looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, this totally looks um, like something we should mention and make people, people aware of. Again, you can find more information at ZetaWar.com. Um, definitely encourage you to go check it out. And if you think it looks interesting, uh, maybe stop by the Kickstarter and uh, drop him a few bucks. I'm sure you'd appreciate it. Um, so you should do that soon. Uh, I don't have the exact date of the uh, Kickstarter closing, so don't delay. I know it's um, sometime within just a small number of weeks of me recording this. So uh, check it out, ZetaWar.com. Also want to mention Closure Bridge, New York City, New York, uh, happening July 22nd and 23rd, um, being hosted by our very own Stuart Sierra. So Closure Bridge, as you probably know by now, we mentioned it many times, but it bears repeating, is an organization dedicated to helping people learn to code, and specifically women learning to code. Um, so uh, you should go to closurebridge.org to find out more about the the New York City event happening again July 22nd and 23rd. I'll mention again too that you can donate uh, at the website closurebridge.org um, or otherwise get in contact with people if, if you'd like to help out. Uh, I know they're always looking for, for help and so uh, you should do that. Um, okay, I also want to mention XT16. This is a conference put on by our friends at Juxt. Uh, this is going to be happening in the United Kingdom. Um, tickets are on sale now. They're limited. Uh, our, our, I say our friends at Jux, and I mean it. Uh, you know, we've had Malcolm Sparks in the show, and uh, you know, th- they're just great people over there. And I, knowing them, I fully expect that it would be great. Uh, you should check that out too. Uh, that's XT16. Um, so go and, and search for that. Um, speaking of conferences, I'll also mention our conference in Europe. That's EuroClosure, of course. Uh, registration is now open. Um, you should go and get your tickets. It's going to be in uh, Bratislava, Slovakia this year. And it's being held, when is it being held? It's being held October 25th and 26th. Uh, And again, this is uh, 2016 we're talking about, uh, in case you're listening to this far, far in the future from me recording this. Uh, Euroclosure, you know, um, I think we've had it enough times now where people know what to expect. Good conference. um, Always picks an interesting location. I really, I I don't know that I'm going to be able to go, but man, I'd really love to. So (laughs) if you're able to go, you should. And, uh, you know have a beer or whatever your drink of choice is for me, um, if assuming I'm not there. And if, if I am there, have a beer or drink of your choice with me. Um, in, a, in any event, uh, you should go and uh, go check out the Euroclosure website. That's at uh, euroclosure.org. Uh, uh, so um, I think that's about all I have to pour into your ears today. So we will go ahead and go on to episode 105 of the Cognicast. everything on my list are you all square i'm ready to go awesome all right well welcome everybody today is friday june 17th in 2016 and this is the cognicast and today we are very happy to have with us a friend of mine person i've known for quite a while and a semi-neighbor we'll get into that a little bit um i'm talking about the uh, uh, he's an executive sorry he's an engineering director at living social and the executive director of loud and codes which is actually uh, one of the things that 
we want to talk to him about today and maybe the main thing. Um, but I'm, I'm referring, of course, to David Bach. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, glad to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Um, you know, we've run into each other a bunch, sort of socially. We're both friends of uh, Stu Holloway's. We run into each other at his place uh, about once a year. It's too bad it's not more often, although we've seen each other at meetups and stuff. But uh, yeah, we're but, both in Northern Virginia. Occasional meetup, things like that. Exactly. And so, uh, so you know, I've, you're a super interesting guy. And uh, if anybody had said, <laughs> "Should we have David on the show?" I'd be like, "Yeah, we should have him on sometime." Um, but and but you've done something recently that we briefly alluded to, loud and codes. Uh, that we're going to get to in a minute, but before we do that, uh, we start the show off, as we always do, with a question for you about art, um, namely uh, a very broad question for you to interpret however you like, but we ask our guests to share some kind of artistic experience, whatever that means to them, just um, to talk to us about something in that space. So what would you like to share? Yeah, this was hard for me to narrow it down. Um, I, uh, I like to decorate wedding cakes. I actually made my own wedding cake. I'm a musician, a software engineer, all kinds of just art permeates my existence. But there are two stories I want to share. The first is about an experience at the Tate Modern Art Museum in London. I was there, I guess this was uh, late 90s, uh, maybe even early 2000s. I was there on a business trip and there with my colleagues and a few friends. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm not so much into modern art, but I love modern art that doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, I think that it's something to you know poke fun at establishment to, to test boundaries of, of what art means. And I also love to people watch. I am content just sitting in a park, you know, watching some mom come by with her kid that she's angry at because he wanted popcorn or something and just watch the mom lose it. I love to just people watch. Well, at the Tate Modern Museum in London, when I was there, they had this piece of art that was just a red dot on a floor. And it was signed, and it had this little plaque beside it that said Red Dot on Floor. And it was positioned so people would step on it as they would come around this corner into this room. And I stood there, must have been for 10 minutes, and just watched people turn the corner into this room, look around to see what was on exhibit in the room, and then realize they were standing on it, and then just react to that experience. Like, oh, no, I'm standing on this thing. Like they had made some mistake. And that was just so much fun to watch time after time as people would come around the corner and just be startled that they were standing on the piece of art for the room. Um, out of all the other stories I wanted to share, I kind of wanted to share a, uh, a negative space experience of art in that uh, I was a music major in college for many years. And um, I ended up switching to computer science. That's another story altogether. But towards the end of my music major phase, when I was just burnt out on the practice room time, the politics, the music school, and everything else that would go on, I was um, up on the college soccer fields, just laying down, looking up at the sky with a girlfriend of mine. And she's pointing out shapes in the clouds. And I just all of a sudden lost it. I was like, how stupid is it that people find shapes in clouds? That's just a cloud. It doesn't look like a dog. It's just a cloud. The art, the appreciative art had been sucked out of my soul so badly out of just all the burnout that I was no longer able to see shapes in clouds. And it was, uh, I spent some time like that before I was finally able to recover. It was uh, a kind of weird experience having such a bleak existence without art in my life like that. Yeah, it's funny, you know. I, I do. I, that's that's a good. That's a great pair of stories, uh, and uh, it brings something to mind. So I um, I do woodworking as a hobby, and and one of the common things that you read among people that uh, talk about their woodworking hobby is, oh, I wish I could do this full time. And one of the th responses that you see from people who have made that transition or who are in woodworking full time is, you know, it's not the same when it's a job. I mean, I think there are people that, that do it and that make the transition and they love it, but there are other people who are thinking of this sort of ideal version of of their hobby that doesn't include things like having to huh. know, write checks and whatnot. And so when you your story reminds me of that in the sense that, you know, um, there's, a, there's a part of programming, right, that's the, the love of programming, the creative app part, right? And, uh, and then there's the, you know, the, the – building a software product for other people part that involves th certain things like, you know, fixing bugs or writing documentation. That's a classic one that people, mm -hmm. that most people don't get off on. And, uh, and I think, you know, there's sort of the same element of, um, and danger of burnout, right? Where I'm not saying it's exactly analogous to the story you shared, but, you know, I think there's that same element of you've got to, you've got to take the good with the bad and, you know, and sometimes it's going to be 
too much bad, right? Like in your case, it was, it was, you know what, this is just not f- scratching the itch that I, right. that I had. And I had to find something else that I could do on a long-term basis. Yeah. I think there's also an aspect of internal versus external motivation there mm-hmm. in that, uh, I love to bake wedding cakes. I love to bake cakes in general, but I made my own wedding cake basically on a, a dare from somebody I worked with. And over the years, I've made seven or eight wedding cakes for friends. And they always offer, oh, I'll pay you for that. And, you know, if I actually converted how much time and energy I took to make a wedding cake into my hourly rate that I normally get when I work, it, a wedding cake would not be affordable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I never, I never want to attach a dollar amount to something like that that I do because then it's, I see it as a, a, you know, a lost opportunity cost because of, you know, not making money for what I'm doing. So I've, I've purposely gone out of the way to not attach a dollar amount to that kind of work because that would change it from an internal to an external motivation. And I feel I'd lose something for that. Yeah, I totally agree. I've had the same experience with software. Once in a while, I'll have an idea and, uh, I'll, and someone will say, oh, you could sell that. And I'll say, that's the last thing I want to do, right? Then it, won't be, <laughs> then it won't be fun anymore, right? I mean, not that I don't enjoy participating in the act of creating software for money, but but I don't necessarily right. also want to do it as a second job. <laughs> yeah, I'm a capitalist through and through, but I, that doesn't mean I, I want to work, you know, two jobs. Right, right. Well, so we were talking about code, and I, I think that leads us nicely, um, and the love of code and the creative aspects of code. And I think that leads us nicely into the, the sort of proximal cause of us having you on the show, uh, which is that you recently launched this effort called Loudon Codes, and I'll let you explain what that is in a minute. And we said, oh, well, that's... That's the sort of thing that we love to talk about in a very worthy effort. And, and in my neighborhood, generally, I don't live in Loudoun County where your effort is based, but I live very nearby in Fairfax County, Virginia. Um, and so we thought we'd give you a chance to come on and talk about uh, what Loudoun Codes is. And I, I think it's a topic that our listeners will be very interested in. So uh, why don't you start by um, just letting us know what this effort is? Okay. Well, let me start with the journey that led me to it before yeah. I talk about yeah, yeah. the actual thing itself. Um, I have... Well, they just turned nine a couple of days ago. I have triplet boys that just turned nine. And uh, when they started kindergarten, I started volunteering at their elementary school for a program called Watchdog Dads, which is a national program to get dads volunteering in elementary schools. And I was really excited to see that my son's elementary school had a computer lab. In fact, they have two. And after spending a little bit of time there, it was kind of uh, disappointing to see that the major activity that took place in the in the labs was basically learning 20th century office worker skills, occasionally taking tests, doing some computer aided testing and education. I mean, good stuff for the lab, but for my heart, I would have loved to have seen my, you know, my students, my kids having a chance to uh, learn some coding. So I talked to the technology resource teacher there and initially it was like, no, we can't really install any software. We don't really have any curriculum. And, uh, you know, a little bit of the, you know, the resistance just because I was new and, and didn't really know anybody, didn't know the process or anything. Well, the next year, uh, there was the uh, Computer Science Education Week and the initiative from Code.org for the Hour of Code to introduce an Hour of Code to every elementary school student in the U.S. So I told the technology resource teacher about that. She was very excited about it. Uh, I was planning to take a few days off of work to run all the fifth graders through the hour of code for computer science education week. And after we started, we changed gear halfway through and decided to run all the third, fourth and fifth graders at my kid's school through the hour of code. And it was such a tremendous experience, you know, taking the week off of work, showing all these kids, um, you know, what it's like to write computer software. They, they basically do the Carol, the robot curriculum in, you know, an hour based on characters with angry birds and plants versus zombies. And now it's star Wars characters. And, you know, over the years they've added more stuff like frozen characters, but the first year it was just the star war or the angry birds and the plants versus zombies. The kids loved it. And we took a little bit more time than an hour. They took an hour to run through the curriculum, but then I also showed them some other stuff. I showed them what it's like to really program. I showed them a little Ruby program. I wrote that played tick to or played a connect four and showed them how the code, while there was a lot more of it, it looked exactly like the code that they were just writing in the Hour of Code curriculum. And, you know, I I explained that we're playing what feels like another person there, but there's nothing there. There's just code. And this little girl, fifth grader, says, oh, so computers aren't smart. 
they're just dumb really, really fast. And that's a quote I've used time and time again. I thought it was fantastic. And uh, after, after that first week of the computer science education week at the elementary school, the principal told me about this program in Loudoun at the high school level called TEALS. It's a program from Microsoft that aims to pair technology professionals with math teachers to teach computer science in classrooms. And um, I suggest that anybody out there listening check the teals.org website, tealsk12.org, and see if it's available in your area. And if it's not, see if you have the inclination to try to start it in your area. It's a uh, program sponsored by Microsoft with the intent of pairing uh, professionals with math teachers. Uh, Several hours in the classroom every week, so there's a little bit of a commitment there. Um, I originally got involved because I was a little selfish, really. Wanted to just see what the school was like for where my kids were eventually going to go. Had no intention of really what what kind of connection and, and bond I'd end up with the school. And uh, so this is my second year volunteering through them, just wrapped up. Working with a couple of math teachers there. Last year I was working with uh, Mr. Rodney Snyder who was a fantastic teacher, welcomed me into his classroom. I would occasionally let, he let me connect to the projector and share stories about what I was doing, uh, relevant stuff uh, to what the students were learning in class. I would occasionally show them some Ruby code when they were learning Java or HTML and CSS and when, you know, just all kinds of different things that were connected to what they were learning. The curriculum in school is Java because they're geared towards, you know, moving towards the AP exam, which is currently all in Java. Uh, but I've been able to show them other stuff along the way and, and make connections and, and teach relevant concepts beyond just the uh, the core curriculum. And um, so I've been doing that now for two years. And uh, at the high school level, we started the, the second year I, was, I did the, the Computer Science Education Week work with Loudon. We took high school volunteers that were now several months into learning the computer science curriculum and had them go back and volunteer at their elementary schools to help teach the Hour of Code. So the second year that Loudon did the Hour of Code, we had it in four elementary schools. And then this last year, it expanded a little bit further. It's now in six and I was working with another teacher. I now work with two teachers at, at Loudoun Valley High School, Mr. Rodriguez. I'll shout out to him. He just recently won a uh, national STEM competition with his STEM club uh, that Samsung sponsored. Uh, he's getting a new lab for the school. Some great stuff going on there as well. And um, just pairing with the students has been such a, a wonderful opportunity with me to, to, you know, you learn by teaching. And it's really enriched me. I have a connection to the students where last summer, even though school wasn't in session and even though this wasn't officially through Teals, we met once a week at the public library in Percival and took a Coursera course together. That helped the students prepare for some of the, uh, um, uh, the high school programming challenge competitions that we do at several colleges through the ACM. Uh, one of my students said he wanted to build a computer, and I thought he meant um, like order parts off Newegg. And he was like, no, I actually want to design something from the chips up. And, you know, I explained that I don't think you can really do that with modern hardware because of the timing and tolerances. It's not an easy thing to learn. But I had done something similar in the 1980s with a book from a, a guy named Steve CRC. I wrote a book called Build Your Own Z80 Microcomputer. Well, I found a kit online from a guy in Maryland that makes a modern version of that kit based around the Z80 and ancient 74LS chips and everything. And we built two of these computers. And uh, one of my students actually has an up-and-running CPM now. Hmm. And uh, just a phenomenal experience building a computer like that from chips, being able to show them, you know, prototype on a breadboard what a, how a memory chip works and, you know, display, you know, program it with switches absent the, the processor. Uh, to build a 2 hertz cycle clock for a Z80 computer and slow it down to be able to see the data and address bus, you know, on with lights flowing. It's amazing to be able to have that kind of, you know, introspection on this little computer. And this summer, we're going to program it to do the game of life. And I'm working with another student to actually build a um, 64 by 64 LED display for it that we can, you know, then code up with the, the game of life. And uh, so this has been a really enriching experience doing this. Now, the work I'm doing right now is... Uh, a little above and beyond what Teals offers in the classroom. Um, like I said, the, the main mission of Teals is in the high school to pair math teachers 
to help teach the math teachers how to teach computer science. Loudon is in this uh, strange space where, um, you know, 75% of schools have nothing in um, public education as far as technology. Um, some schools, especially like where you are in Fairfax County, that's where I went to high school, um, has an amazing curriculum, an amazing magnet school that has trickled down curriculum to every school in the county. Loudon is doing really well all by itself, but you know companies don't come in and when they want to they you know when they want to donate money they want to bet on a winner so they're over in Fairfax. When a nonprofit comes in and wants to, um, you know, bootstrap a school, for instance, there's a nonprofit called Code Virginia that is I'm also um, teaming with a little bit. We've had some emails back and forth about how we can collaborate. Um, they're concerned about bootstrapping schools that have nothing right now. Um, uh, and, uh, so here's, I was talking with one of my teachers and they're like, well, Loudon's right here. And you know, who's helping us? We're doing okay all on our own. And, um, that's when I was like, you know, I have several volunteers who are going above and beyond. There's an untapped market here that, um, because the relationship with Microsoft Teals can't touch. And that's the fact that Loudoun County is such a hub of technology, you know, this is where, um, you know, Amazon US East is. This is where AOL was. This is where, you know, there's just a huge amount of technical infrastructure here. All the the government contractors and private industry and, and startups even. And um, I wanted to be able to rally that around not just high school education, but intermediate school education and elementary school education. We have you know, 45 elementary schools in Loudoun County, and a handful of them are doing the Hour of Code stuff. There's no reason why that effort of having high school students go back to elementary schools couldn't amplify across all of them. It's just a matter of, you know, having something in place. Well, so I was talking with this teacher, and he's like, yeah, well, you know, Loudoun needs something for that. So I and several parents and my two teachers and everything, we rallied around that and came up with this idea of the Loudoun Computer Science Initiative, which is Loudoun Codes. And it's funny, I have people talk to me and they're like, why are you limiting it just to Loudoun? Why don't you try to do that like across all of Virginia? And first of all, I know I uh, tend to bite off more than I can chew. So I'm trying not to do that this time. Second of all, there are organizations like Code Virginia that are there to do that at that space. I want to rally in Virginia and use what we do here in, or rally that in Loudoun, and use what we do in Loudoun as a model to give back. Uh, for instance, a few weeks ago, we just concluded, uh, the school year just ended, but after the students took the AP exam, um, there was not much curriculum left to do in the AP class. So I worked with Mr. Snyder, and we came up with a sixth lesson, which took you know a little more than two weeks to do, because they meet every other day in, in the county um, for that class. For the, the two AP courses, we did two days of parsing CSV files, where they learned how to parse CSV and I showed them, you know, data.gov and some other data sources, had them have to query across several CSV files to answer some questions. Then we showed them JSON and web services where they had to talk to a web service to get current weather information, um, you know, then browse through a bunch of web services and do something with the data that, quote, just show us something. You know, they're at their own to just do whatever they want, parsing JSON. Then we did two days of SQL where, you know, they don't learn SQL as part of the AP exam. But now, after dealing with CSV and JSON, they're loading data into SQL. And I show them how a well-written SQL query in one line can do what a page of Java did when they had to do it by parsing CSV files. And it was then I showed them some other stuff, like I showed them sending an SMS message through Twilio. And it was so eye-opening as they see, you know, they've been coding now for two years, but it's been classroom examples. And now here they are seeing real-world data that they're parsing, learning you know, synthesizing new facts out of available data, getting real-time data from a web service, and then reaching out and touching the world with an SMS message. It was it was just really enriching to see how they were touched by that and how I'm giving them tools to do impressive things. Um, for instance, most of the most of the students in that class were juniors. Next year at, at Loudoun Valley High School, they have the option of, in their last month of school, doing a public service project or a career education project, where they basically take a month out of the classroom, have to spend so many hours doing a public curriculum, you know, a, a, a public thing, and then doing some kind of report, like almost like a science fair presentation on it. They call it their capstone project. And I was showing the students this data and saying, you now have the tools to be able to, let's look at 
jurisdictions that issue parking tickets versus income levels and see, you know, what we can learn from that or look at, you know, all this different data out there, whether snow removal uh, records versus budgets for snow removal in counties and all this kind of stuff. There are capstone projects in that data waiting to happen. And I could just see everybody's eyes light up in terms of things they could do with that. So Loudon Codes is about trying to, um, you know, rally around these these things that we've been doing little bits of and uh, create a, uh, an enhanced curriculum for Loudon. And what I've been saying is it's a it's an extracurricular and an enhanced um, curriculum for computer science education in Loudon County. Wow, I mean that's very <laughs> cool. So I, I love the story about um, you know showing these high school students how to um, synthesize and extract data um, because. I think there's a sense in which that really is the computer literacy issue of our age, right? Is right. Um, being able to access information to be able to make better decisions or empower people to do things they couldn't do before. And I think there's many different aspects of, of programming that are useful to people, but that's certainly one of them. Um, so, I mean, so you have this you have this organization that's aimed at bringing the same type of experience to, you know, the rest of the K to 12 um uh, curriculum throughout Loudon, and um, by the way, let's let's spell Loudon briefly for people. Oh, it's sure. L O U D O U N, which always catches <laughs> me up. But anyway, so if people are kind of sitting there going, "Oh, I should check this out." Anyway, so um, but loudoncodes.org. Uh, right, loudoncodes.org. Yeah, and it's a nice website, by the way. I, I it's very well presented. I was flipping through it. Um, oh, thanks. Um, and obviously, um, you know, you are you have uh you you have done an excellent job of um explaining um this so far I would drill down some more but so so I'm wondering um if you could talk a little bit more about um how you plan to scale this thing across because I mean I think it makes a ton of sense to teach kids to program and it, it makes sense to me that you would start early like kindergarten but I doubt that you're going to teach kindergartners sequel um you, you know I mean <laughs> This Pro- is true. Probably not the approach you've chosen. Um, uh, I think it's a fascinating and and wise choice to to include SQL um, at some point in the uh, in the curriculum. But uh, but I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you are because I know I mean this organization has just been formed, right? Right. So we're about two months old, and really, what was finally the thing that made me um, finally get up the nerve to do it was. You know, there's something I've had to learn several times in my career is that – several times in my life, I should say, that there are a lot of people that will say no. But when you really want to do something, there's no one person that can say yes except you. You know, if I were to just sit here and try to, you know, talk to people after people, I'd, I'd hear a lot of, oh, you should make that bigger. Oh, you should focus on that. Oh, you don't want to do that. You want to work with this organization. And it was – you know, I talked about it for months. And then finally, um, what actually was the thing that, that made it happen – was a company that asked to remain anonymous donated a hundred laptop computers. Most of them are four to five year old um, Dell's Latitudes E fifty five twenties, but that was a tremendous opportunity. They're they're more than capable of running the hour of code, of installing Java with a lightweight editor, of doing some Ruby, of of doing some closure on them, um, and uh, uh, doing some Python. And um, more importantly, you know, that I can use them to SSH into a little Raspberry Pi, stuff like that. So all of a sudden having 100 computers made me think, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something. And um, uh, so there are various things I'm, I'm starting to do. First of all, I have a uh, – I'm working on putting several different advisory councils together. One is one of parents. I have my teachers that I'm working with now. One is an advisory council of parents. That will be on the website soon. Then I have an advisory council of my current students, which is a mix of people that have, you know, been, you know, either rising AP but have been through the computer math or post AP and doing independent study. And then I have a graduate council for 2016, which is three students that um, graduated from high school this year. And what I really want to get back from them as they're in college next year is feedback on did they feel they were prepared for this? You know, their their high their the college career. Did they not feel prepared? What could they have known? So I'm have all that kind of net to gather information and get some resources and get some other volunteer efforts. Um, then, uh, of course, there's the rally around the website. There's um, 
the the machines that I have, and I also have several of my current high school students wanting to volunteer and do stuff. Um, I have two students who approached me about um, taking those hundred machines and getting them installed all with a you know a lightweight flavor of Linux, getting the Hour of Code stuff on there, getting Scratch on there, and then using that at the library this summer to teach groups of students. And so as soon as I uh, I have some other paperwork set up, I'm going to be looking for corporate sponsors for that kind of activity. Because um, part of my personal um, my personal philosophy is that I don't want to have unpaid interns. I think part of the purpose of an internship should be making you think about what value you're providing an organization. Why is it worth them to be able to pay me this much? So we're going to be accepting donations soon. That's not quite in place yet. And uh, I've already had people come out of the woodwork asking me to have that in place. And um, so I'm going to mostly try to do a lot of this through the efforts of high school students going back and teaching elementary school, which I think is a huge missing, a huge missed opportunity that, um, you know, back in the olden days of education, when we used to have integrated schools, uh, it was a primary responsibility of older kids to teach younger kids. And I see that happen a lot with older siblings teaching younger siblings. But I think we've kind of lost that notion that a great way to learn is to teach. And I like to see that, you know, that I can somehow amplify that. Um, again, I'm going to have parent parent volunteers doing the same kind of thing, uh, working with who the existing TEALS volunteers are to amplify some of them, give them the curriculum that we're putting together, give them other ideas. Um, oh, one other thing that we recently did. I mentioned that my students participate in these high school programming competitions. There are about five that we participate in at University of Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, University of Maryland are the ones I can think of right now. Um, they happen all over the place, and they're basically high school teams of, let's say, three students go and participate in a four-hour contest with eight questions. A lot of these are available online, and you'd be amazed at some of the kinds of questions that high school students are answering. Require, you know, advanced knowledge of things like Dijkstra's Shortest Path and graph traversal algorithms and red-black trees and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. And students are self-teaching this stuff in high school if there's no curriculum now. And... Um, so we had a, um, you know, I mentioned last summer we had a uh, several students that were a team that practiced this material. Well, uh, Mr. Rodriguez and I, with his computer math classes, ran a contest two Saturdays ago where nine questions that I came up with that were, you know, FizzBuzz was on there, as were some little things like uh, um, convert miles per gallon into kilometers per liter based on these criteria, um, just uh, some difficult questions, but also some easy ones. And uh, we had a contest that was ran HSPC style, uh, the the ACM contests, where students got points and they got prizes. And um, our goal there was to both to expose our computer math students to this contest format so that they would be interested in pursuing it next year when they're in AP. And I would love to take that across to all the various high schools in Loudoun. And at this point, that's, you know, uh, a parent who knows something about tech volunteering for a day, taking the questions we already have and uh, having you know someone sponsor so that their prizes. We gave away $350 in prize material to the students and gave them pizza for the Saturday. So all in all, it was about $400 in to make the contest work. Um, and that's something that all 15 Loudoun high schools to do with nothing more than a little budget and a parent. And, um, what I would love to see is a way to have some kind of Loudon-style competition that wasn't about teams of three competing against each other within the same school. Because even when we send three or four teams to one of these competitions, they're all competing against each other to be first place. I'd love to see a way that the school itself can act as a team, more like a sports team would. Like, okay, you have three teams of three people. How about two of them have to each solve a problem, and then the two data sets from their solutions feed into the problem for the third team and so on and so forth and actually make it like you have an offensive and a defensive team to be able to solve some kind of problem. And that way the whole school can, you know, participate as a team. And because uh, I think when you have a team of three, it's a certain personality type that will participate and put themselves out there like that. It's a different personality that will participate in a, a more communal activity. And I'd like to encourage that, you know, more personality types, not, you know, how, how often in the real world do we compete with each other as opposed to collaborate? Mm. I would like to see a school collaborating with each other. 
Yeah, and how often in software do we build something where um, commercially, right, with professionals, right. where it, you're the only person that does anything whatsoever? Like, and it, it is 100 percent right. you. That stuff exists certainly, but uh, most of the time you're working with um, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, a hundred, a thousand other people to get something done. Right. Yeah. Okay. So this is very interesting. So it, it I mean. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about Loudon Codes before uh, we spoke. I mean, I saw your announcement. I approved the website, um, but I'm, I'm getting a clearer picture now. And so one of the things I, I wonder what would be fair to say is it's really kind of um, – it's an umbrella organization or really it's or- organized around an idea rather than around one particular uh, curriculum or, 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 right. or activity. Yeah, okay. Right. I like that because, I mean, that's going to give you the freedom too to, to iterate – on the things that work best, right? Right. And the the theme is the uh, supplemental and extracurricular um, resources for computer science education in Loudoun. Mm-hmm. And um, of those 100 machines that I have were, you know, some of them were donating to other school systems. Uh, there's an organization that I've worked with before in Washington, D.C. called D.C. Blacks in Tech. I would love to give them a handful of the machines. Talk to one person there about that. And um, there's just all kinds of ways that through you know, through the kinds of things that we're doing already, just with a little bit more formality and uh, resources behind them, we can really, you know, grassroots amplify the efforts of the organizations that are already here. Like I said, Teals is in place. I love them. I'm volunteering through them, you know, continually, not trying to take anything away from their efforts. Uh, the Virginia Codes effort, they're strong. Um, there's the, uh, there's actually already an org called the Loudoun Education Foundation, but they're not particularly, you know, they're whole curriculum, not just computer science. And uh, as kind of a, uh, a, a um, uh, about two weeks after I created the organization, this was perfect timing. It was like I was prescient on this, but it was just a, a coincidence. Uh, the Virginia Codes organization, or Code Virginia, had been working with um, a uh, local state representative to introduce a bill in our state uh, Congress uh, to add computer science to the Virginia standards of learning exams. And on May 16th, that was actually signed into law by the governor. So every county is now responsible for enhancing the curriculum with K through 12 material uh, for, to test computer science and computational thinking on an even playing field with math and English on the standard of learning exams. So the fact that I'm now here creating this curriculum and I'm not an organization that's coming in and saying, here's our curriculum, please adopt it. I'm saying, I want to work with that school. I want to work with that teacher. I want to work with this. Let's, let's have an idea. Let's pilot it. Let's see what happens and see if the schools want to adopt it. Just a complete grassroots effort. Hmm. I feel like uh, I, I uh, probably ought to have known that that law got signed, but I, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Certainly, I think, as I said earlier, these are key skills for the 21st century um, yeah. for, for many, many people. Um, and I, it makes total sense to me to be for us to be giving these skills to to kids. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, people go off and do different things, but I think uh, we've all uh, the, our listeners are all, I would guess, almost all programmers, and they have all experienced certain benefits in the ability to think in a structured way. Which I think is, uh, I think you'd agree. Although I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that that is one of the primary benefits. It's not so much that you have this skill that you can make a web page or whatever, but that you begin to gain the ability to think in a structured way. Would you agree that that's a primary goal? Yes, absolutely. I think that the ability to follow a recipe in its, in a way is computational thinking. When I, you know, when I scale a, a, a recipe that I get out of a cookbook that's meant to make a cake for eight, when I scale that up to serve 150 at a wedding, that is a form of computational thinking. Because, uh, you know, it's not just scaling the recipe up. There are modifications you have to make so the cake doesn't end up dense and, you know, collapse under its own weight. When, uh, you know, I'm trying to give somebody directions on, you know, how to drive someplace, that's a form of computational thinking. I, I'm sure this has a proper name, but I'm thinking about computational thinking. I remember a, uh, um, a psychology experiment where you're looking at a picture of geometric shapes and you need to describe to somebody else how to draw it. Like you're saying, well, there's a circle about two inch radius in the center of the page and to the right of that is a triangle. And, you know, you basically describe the picture to somebody and then you compare the picture you're looking at to the picture they draw. And the ability to describe that is a form of computational thinking because you have to go down and think, how can I get somebody to recreate this puzzle? Um or recreate this drawing. All of these things are 
the the kinds of 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 engagement in interacting with your world just uh you know just understanding how a computer works that that fifth grade girl that saw what a computer program did when it was thinking i'm sure that changed her world when she talks to a you know something like siri on her phone or when she sees a video game now she she consciously understands somebody wrote that it wasn't you know i i think these are all important skills even if uh my students don't go on to career in computer science they are going to go into some career where understanding a CSV and a JSON and how it can be parsed and turned into new data is going to be valuable to them. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you a question about, um, you know, whether or not, like whether you have sort of sub-focuses. Um, so for instance, I have two girls. Uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. that you have triplet boys, which um, – Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. On like surviving that so far. Um, we, uh, I was telling you, we had a their their birthday was Tuesday. Tuesday was also the last day of school in Loudoun County. We had nine boys over for a sleepover party, and about nine thirty, my son Christopher was up on a chair dancing, and I had told him to get down, but he was up on the chair. Somebody else was wrestling and knocked into the chair, knocked him off, and he landed on his face Ooh. and broke his right front. Uh, top tooth, uh. and it was an adult tooth, and uh, so my wife ran into the emergency room. He had punctured through his lip. He actually put a dent in the floor with his tooth. Mm. Um, but like all kids, you know, by the time he got home, he was actually upset that we watched Zootopia without him more than he was injured. So. Well, I'm glad to hear that he wasn't seriously <laughs> injured. That's a bummer about that. All that I'm sure it was no fun for anybody. But I, uh, but well, it does. Actually, you go, know, ahead. It's, yeah, go ahead. It's funny. All, all the boys were here, and they thought it was the coolest thing ever. They're like, "Cool! Did you see all that blood?" Yeah. You know, as you can imagine, nine nine year olds were kind of thrilled. Well, you're so you're leading me right into my question, which is because <laughs> I have girls, right? And so, okay. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, obviously, every child is different, but but in general, right? I think it's fair to say that you know um, a typical group of girls would react differently and and that's fine you know your gender difference is awesome yay that's all good but you know we can look at um our industry uh and we can say okay there are some real issues right now with uh with gender and accessibility um and i'm just wondering whether two things really first of all as you've uh as you've had your experiences working with kids have you seen um Anything when you've been working with computers around kind of uh, you know social differences or social pressures or 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 like the realities of of our world today around gender differences that have given you ideas about um, things that you could do or you know or or have you said you know we're going to create a program the program is going to be you know obviously you know it's computers right like girls and boys can do this it's not there's nothing mm-hmm. inherent there that's different and you know it's i and i think it would it's totally fine for you to say i'm not going to explicitly address um you know uh, gender inequity in computer science i'm going to give everybody the opportunity and and you know plenty of other people are working on on that problem i'm just wondering whether whether you've seen anything that's given you those ideas or whether that's just not a focus of yours right now well so let's start at the beginning with the elementary school students uh, with my third through fifth grade students that have done the Hour of Code, it's the entire class coming in, boys and girls. And I have to say that I think at that age, the girls have more of an aptitude for this kind of thinking. Uh, I- inevitably, you know, we have an hour to do these, the Hour of Code. And some students finish, some students don't. But inevitably, it's it's the girls that seem to finish over the boys. I don't know if it's an aptitude or if it's the boys are distracted. Um and that seems to have gotten better as the Hour of Code has prepared material around things like Frozen versus um, Angry Birds. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the, so there, there are things happening at that level that I think if I can just give enough exposure to everybody, we can start to fix that problem. Um, I have not yet been in the uh, junior high school yet, and that I think is where I need to uh, – looking at this effort, I definitely went to the high school wondering – wondering what happens. And uh, it seems like, you know, I've always thought of junior high school, uh, you know, in the Harry Potter books, the sorting hat, I think is a metaphor for junior high school <laughs> in that I know junior high school is when everybody got labeled as the smart kid or the jock or the dweeb or the, and, you know, that carried through to high school. And definitely at the high school level, the um, the ratio in the computer math is more boys than girls. And uh, I mean, 
you know, not dramatically so, but enough that it's noticeable based on what I see at the elementary school level. And I, you know, I need to figure out why that's happening. Mm. But now one thing I did see that um, was, you know, uh, thanks for the opportunity, but it, it, uh, it means horrible things for the stats in our industry. Last year was my first year teaching at the high school. And um, this year I was expecting to see a lot of my students end up in AP, including, you know, our stats look great for a higher percentage of females going into the AP exam. And it turns out that there was a program that reached out to all of the girls that were getting good grades in science and math to have them join a nursing program that uh, an affiliate school here does in Loudoun. Uh, we have a magnet school for various kinds of uh, you know, career opportunity stuff. Um, because that took place um, off campus, they didn't have the opportunity to continue some classwork um, you know, at the school. So a lot, some of my students that were, excuse me, going to take AP um, ended up not because they were pursuing this other opportunity. So, I mean, it's good they have another career opportunity, but I think that that is, you know, just one of the many, you know, I, I hate to call it a pipeline problem because I know that that gets kind of dismissed a lot, but it does seem to me that there is a filter that occurs year after year after year that gradually weeds, you know, females out of this as a career path. And um, I'm hoping that by starting at the elementary school level, there are several things I can do. One is... um get over this phase where, you know, when I first started my career, there were a lot more women in the career path and I've watched them drop away and I've watched the numbers of women entering the career path be much lower. And, you know, you know, there was that article or that news story on NPR earlier this year that called it something like the older brother effect where the older brothers would play computer games. So the computers ended up in their bedrooms. And so the girls didn't have as much as opportunity is one of many causes. And I'm hoping to see that um, starting with the computers at home or the computers at school with everybody in the class, it's just naturally more inclined that that girls want to continue it with uh, some of the curriculum that's available now, um, you know, where it's not so boy centric, I think that girls will want to continue. And I hope that for both boys and girls, um, the, the students that I first did the Hour of Code with will be arriving at high school next year as freshmen. And I would like for them to be able to look at the computer curriculum that we have and be like, that's it? <laughs> you know, just two years, but I'm a freshman and I have an interest in this as a career path. Where's four years worth of material? And I was saying, you know, Loudon in some ways is ahead. But in other ways, it's exactly the same two years that I took when I grew up in Fairfax County in the same two years I had in 1985 and 1986. So it's the same curriculum, Carol the Robot stuff. It's just an in Java instead of Pascal now. I would love to see that, um, you know, we have more curriculum available. That's what I'm helping to develop. That's what I'm hoping the uh, new law in Virginia helps create. And I'm hoping that, you know, by seeding it from a young age, as girls have an aptitude for this too, they'll just naturally filter into it. Yeah, I, I think uh, that that's kind of uh, uh, congruent with my approach with my daughters, um, you know, which is m I see my objective and we – haven't been doing as much of this lately. I have done some programming with the older one especially. Uh, we've fallen out of it a little bit. But I still have taken the position that for my kids, my main goal at their ages, and they're 8 and 11, is to basically fail to make it uninteresting, right? Like to, to not turn them off until they get to the point where they can decide that it's something that grabs them. And I, I think there's, you know, you alluded to this too, there's a ton of other... Um, barriers to um, uh, t tons of different groups of people, women certainly included, but it does have to be based on, you know, you've you've got like a certain opportunity, <laughs> and if you don't have that, then ignoring all the other issues, and of course we shouldn't, but but they then you're you're not even going to get anywhere if you don't say, hey, look, this is a thing that you could possibly do. Here it is, right? Yeah, right. So there, and you know, I. I, uh, it's kind of an awkward position to be in because in one hand, I saw this problem, you know, I don't want to say firsthand, but, but it was more than secondhand for me. Uh, when I had my own consultancy, Code Sherpas, both of my partners in that consultancy were women and they were both great engineers, both great managers. And inevitably we would go to a meeting. I'd go to a meeting with one of them and someone would assume that this was my secretary or my assistant mm. or that I had started a company with my wife or, or whatever. I could just see 
you know, time and time again, the, the, the women in the room, my equal partner was discounted and people were turning to me as the expert in the room. Um, so I'm sensitive to this issue and I would love to be able to have a force of correct, you know, be a force to help correct it. Um, I had a surprise my first year that I was talking to some of the female students that were taking computer math. There was one that stood out as always having her hand up, always the one that knew the answer to what the curriculum was or what the the question was, even before we got to it officially in the curriculum. And um, I mentioned to her that there's this organization called NCWIT, the National Center for Women in Information Technology, and they have an aspirations award program for girls in high school. I had mentioned this to her. And she said, thanks, but no thanks. And I was like, why not? It would be a good scholarship if this is a field you want to go into. And she was like, yeah, but I don't want anyone to ever question what my motivation is for being in the room. You know, I do this because I like it, not because I want to be the girl that stands out in the room. I was like, hmm. So, yeah, you know, I want to solve the issue, but by shining a light on it, am I, am I scaring some people away? Mm. So it's a, it's a fine line to walk. What I'm hoping is that um, there was another instance where um, I had a, a high school student, I heard him say to somebody, I think it's cute that a girl's learning to code. And I, at the next computer club that we had, talked about how, you know, the original programmers of ENIAC were all women and, and who Ada Lovelace was and, and who Grace Hopper was and kind of put this in perspective that we are standing on the shoulders of great people when we work and a lot of them are women. And, uh, you know, tried to erase that perception there. But I'm hoping that as you know, girls that have been on an equal footing with boys from elementary school on up. Um, it's just a non-issue. That's what I'm hoping to see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, it's a complex issue, obviously. And I think the work that you're doing is, is fantastic, which leads me to ask, um, a question that I'm sure you would have gotten to shortly here, but, uh, which is how can people help? I mean, uh, you know, people say, Oh, David's doing some awesome work. I want to, I want to pitch in. What are the ways that they can do that? Um, well, first of all, um, the best thing you can do is reach out in your own county and do something. If, uh, you know, if Teals is in your county, uh, volunteer. They're accepting volunteers right now for the next school year. If it's not, then, um, uh, you know, talk to whoever, you know, connect, make the connections between the people in your county and the people that run Teals to be able to see if you can get a program in. And, um, if if Teals isn't available, see if, if Watchdog Dads is. That was really my entry point, a great organization that is meant to put fathers in the classroom to see what's happening at the elementary school. And that's been phenomenal for me. The, I have a day where I'll go and I'll read a book to the second grade and then I'll play with my kids on the playground and then I go and help a fifth grader with his math homework. You spend the whole day volunteering at school just wherever a teacher needs you, making photocopies, distributing you know the the who's being picked up instead of going home on the bus notices and all that kind of stuff. And you're really helping the school too. And uh, that is really what gave me the in. I wasn't just some dude showing up saying, hey, let's teach code. I was an involved parent saying this would be good for the kids. And that really helped me get the in that started all this for me. So start, you know, in your own county, in your own school system, doing this kind of thing. If you happen to be in Loudoun or if you happen to be in a neighboring county, check out the loudoncodes.org website, sign up on our mailing list and keep abreast of what we're doing. Um, even if you're in another county, the curriculum that I mentioned for the CSV and JSON and, and uh, SQL, that's all going to be open sourced. I'm just taking the feedback from students right now and correcting some typos and stuff like that. That's all going to be on GitHub so you can fork and, and do what you want with it. Um, really, mailing list is probably the best place to help. Um, well, very shortly, we'll be looking for some uh, financial help as well, and that'll be up on the website. I'm not going to be too pushy about that because so far we've done – Amazing things just bootstrapping with the limited effort we have. If nothing else, um, reach out to the math teacher at your high school who might be the one teaching code and say, hey, I do this professionally. Is there something I can do to help? Even if it's, you know, come in and walk around and help answer questions as the students are struggling with something, that can help your teacher uh, get extra time to grade papers so they're not grading them at home. There are a million little ways you can help out in your county. And, you know, all you have to do is meet the right person and ask. Yeah, I, uh, I, my wife or organized our kids. Uh, there was a program at the school where the parents would come in and read with and to uh, with. Actually, the children would read to them uh, during the day. And I remember um, she was running and she's like, "Hey, you're gonna go volunteer." I'm like, "Okay, cool." And I went <laughs> in, and uh, the the kids were just they were so thrilled to see a dad, right? Because uh, you right. know the, the the fact was for whatever reason, all of the other volunteers for that program. 
had been women, had been the mothers. Uh, I think another another couple dads did also volunteer as well. It wasn't just me, but I was the first one. And they were like, oh, daddy, it's great. So the kids really love it too. So, uh, And it was really interesting to get in and see the kids because these, of course, were the kids in my kids' class. And to get down, sit down, and have each of them read me a book um, was interesting on, on just a number of fronts, uh, not least of which was seeing your child perform an activity and then seeing all their classmates perform the same activity. It was just right. fascinating on, on, on a number of dimensions. So I would, I would echo that uh, there's always opportunities to help. And, uh, and I think you like it. And, uh, you know, um, maybe a little bit of extra nudge to the, to the men out there to get involved at the school. Though obviously um, anyone um, could, you know, heed your call right. and, and go help out. So, right. Yeah. 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 That's been a, you know, it's been great. You know, Percival is a small town and after doing the watchdog dad stuff and doing the hour of code, you know, I see students in the grocery store with their parents and uh, they run up to me and they're like, mom, mom, it's the computer guy. It's the computer guy. <laughs> or they just like, hello, Mr. Bach, how are you? And they start talking to me and their parents are looking at me like, you know, who are you? How does my son know you? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I flash my, I actually have a, uh, through the Teals program, I actually have a uh, Loudoun County employee badge, you know, to, to volunteer as often as we do in the school system. We're actually, you know, we've been through the security background, have the fingerprint checks, all that stuff. So I have a real badge that, you know, I can flash to to get around the schools a little bit. Well, there you go. Even more reason to do it, right? You can get a badge. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe maybe get your kids to obey you more. No, probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Um, Well, awesome. So I I think we're kind of coming to the end of our time, but um, I I like to make sure that we always save as much time as as possible at the end to talk about um, anything else. Like, I don't want to cut you off, right? You've had so many interesting things to say. Um, uh, You know, we should probably wrap it up um, at some point, but that point is definitely after... Uh, you've had a chance to share anything else with us that you think uh, you would like to lay on our listeners today. So uh, is it, what, what do you think? Is there anything else? or uh, Just one thing I'd like sure. to say is I'd like the information to flow both ways. If there is a county or a school system out there that has some great piece of curriculum that they'd like to promote and uh, think you know I should know about it, please you know reach out via the website. Uh, let me know about it. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious for good ideas too. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, we'll spell it again just because it is a little bit unusual. Loudon codes, L O U D O U N codes.org. And that actually will probably help our transcriptionists as well. We have, uh, we have website <laughs> transcriptions now. So people will be able to, oh, awesome. to read that. Uh, sorry, I meant podcast transcriptions so that people will be able to read that as well. But, uh, yeah, check it out. It's a, it's a nice site and it's very, very obvious how, uh, to get in touch with you uh, via the mailing list that you mentioned. Well, David, this has been super interesting. I, I knew a little bit about um, what you were up to, but not not a lot. And I certainly know a lot more now. And I and I think it's just an amazing um, thing that you're doing. And I and I really I kind of like the fact that it's um, that it's oriented around an idea rather than you know like a fixed activity. Because I think uh, you know I know you. I know you're you're uh, you're a software practitioner in the in, in using many of the same. Uh, approaches that we like here at Cognitech to include Agile. So I'm sure that you will you will iterate, you will use retrospectives, you will you will do these things even if it's sort of informally in your own head to kind of um, continue to improve your process towards the ideas that bear fruit. So I'm interested to see where you take it. Uh, maybe yeah, you I can... mean, it's it's evolved just since we talked you know, last month about it. Yeah, awesome. Well, I was just going to say then maybe you'll come on and talk to us again. You know, I don't know. Sometime next year, maybe if, after you've had a chance to run through it for for a year, we could check back in, and you could tell us. Well, we thought this was going to work, but it turned out to be, you know, had this barrier, but we had this other idea, and oh man, that one was great. So I wonder if you'd uh, maybe think about coming back on and checking back in with us after you've got a little more experience. I'd love to. Cool. All right, then. Well, then we will go ahead and move to the final question. Uh, we warned you about this as well. Uh, and so this, of course, is uh, one about advice. We always ask our guests to provide us, to share with us a piece of advice, whether it's advice that they like to give, live by, advice they received, any kind of advice at all. So what advice do you have for us, David? Oh, God, do I have to choose just one? No. Um, no, you don't. Okay. Well, so I already – I already. Um, uh, mentioned one, which was the, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that can tell you no, but only you can tell yourself yes. That's something I've had to learn over and over again. Um, but the the one I was planning on mentioning uh, is uh, first two stories to, to put this in context. The first is uh, early on in my career, um, 1992 was the first time I ever read The Mythical Man Month. I was just out of college. I didn't really get what the book was about, right? I read it and I was like, 
this is talking about ancient IBM operating system technology. This can't be relevant to me. I kind of shrugged it off and laughed at it. A few years later, somebody mentioned how great that book was. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding. How could that be relevant today? And he's like, have you read it? I was like, yeah, it was all about ancient IBM technology. He goes, no, it's about teamwork and people. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I read it now with several years of career underneath me. And it just made so much more sense. I just was not prepared to read it before that I didn't have the context for what it was talking about. I missed everything about, you know, defect rates and the problems of communication on teams and, and, uh, you know, delivering software. I missed all of that the first time reading it. So I made a promise to myself that I'd reread that book every few years. And I have every, you know, six to eight years have, have reread that book. I'm coming due, I think again in 2017 to pick that up and look through it again. And, uh, uh, a similar story. Last year, I led a group study with a number of both seasoned and new engineers at my company, and we uh, we read the Pragmatic Programmer, which is a book I had first read in early 2001. And you know, for a long time, I've quoted that book. I've lived by many of the the principles. You know, we tend we hear people often talk about you know, don't repeat yourself. Um, and then, of course, some of the other ones have, have worked their way into our subconscious, like uh, keep knowledge in plain text. But for years, I was living those, those tips. And I reread the book again with some people who, as we read it, they weren't getting everything out of it I had hoped, or they weren't seeing it as prophetic as I had remembered it. And they were like, well, yeah, a lot of this seems obvious, common sense, you know, stuff it's saying about testing, about don't repeat yourself, about... And it made me realize that, you know, we really have moved the ball forward on what this is as a career path. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what you know, the formality of our practice, the tools we use, the, the things we do. You know, in that book, testing is suggested as a good idea. Now it's something we do regularly. And you know, we begin to question teams that aren't. Uh, version control, again, yeah. is you might want to use version control. And now that's like, how could you write the stuff we do today without in- it? Insanity if you don't, right? Right, right. And it's just... Reading that book with that historical perspective, both uh, I admired that book so much at the time and, uh, you know, looking at what it contains now with that with the historical eye of of how we've changed since that book was written was really valuable. So I guess my tip is revisit your sources of knowledge and look at them in the new context that you have in your career as your career evolves. You know, you kind of that you can't step into the same river twice. You read that book again and you're going to get new things out of it. You're going to realize things that were revolutionary in that book, um, how they've become, how they've come to pass and be be common standard things. I think, uh, you know, we both know Rich Hickey from that same circle and he is phenomenal at diving into old papers and pulling out beautiful nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's kind of the dual of your advice, which is not only, you know, go back and look at it and see, oh, we've moved the ball, but also, hey, here are some ideas that we actually haven't realized yet. And I was thinking, as you said that, I had exactly the same experience with structure and interpretation of computer programs. That was a textbook Ah. of mine in college. Um, I actually took the class from, you know, uh, Jerry Sussman and and uh, then I and I at the time I remember being like, yeah, it's all right. And then I went back and read it, you know, twenty years later, and I was like, oh my god, this is the stuff that I've been discovering, and there's still more in here that we haven't necessarily <laughs> achieved yet. It's out of the tar pit, same thing. So right. I think that's fantastic advice. Well, well, David, thank you so much for taking the time today to come on and talk to us about um, about Loudon Codes. It sounds like an amazing effort. I know that you're going to be an excellent steward. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Um, the next time we see each other and then hopefully on the podcast again um, in the not too distant future about how that that effort is going i mean as a father of um kids in exactly that age range i'm 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 invested but i think it's just fascinating from a from a standpoint of you know kind of uh, we we, you know we we say the show is about uh, software is about software and the people that create it well guess what the people that create it are in they're going to be creating it are in you know school right now so you're influencing them and i think that's fantastic so thanks a ton for uh, coming on and talking to us today well, thanks for having me, Craig. I love talking about it. You can see uh, I have a lot of work to pair all my passion speech down to an elevator speech. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, not at all. It was it was wonderful here and it was very well presented. So we're going to wrap it up there, though. Uh, this has been the Cognicast.
You have been listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitect Inc. Cognitect are the makers of Datomic, and we provide consulting services around it, closure, and a host of other technologies to businesses ranging from the smallest startups to the Fortune 50. You can find us on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the Cognicast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, Cognitech.com slash podcast. You can contact the show by tweeting at Cognicast or by emailing us at podcast at Cognitech.com. Our guest today was David Bach on Twitter at Bachman, B-O-K-M-A-N-N. Episode cover art is by Michael Parenteau. Audio production is by Russ Olson and Damian Mack. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening.